0: Hello, beeps. Leonardo da Vinci apparently once said that simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. Well, I feel that Leonardo would have very much liked this week's guest, yoga and meditation master Darren Maine, because I've rarely spoken to anyone with such wisdom and clarity. He's been studying the human mind, the psyche and the soul for 30 years so he can express complex ideas with such simplicity that I seem to have a major breakthrough every time we talk. Since we spoke, I've been listening to one of his audiobooks, Inner Tranquility, and I can't recommend it highly enough if you're interested in starting or restarting a meditation practice. You can find out all about Darren and reach out to him by going to thenaturalhighclub.com forward slash Darren I'm so pleased to introduce him to you again because he has so much to offer to your happiness. If you like the show, please leave a review on whichever platform you're listening to The Natural High. And as ever, thanks for your beautiful support.
1: The Natural High. There he is. Hey, how you doing? (laughs) I'm good. How are you? Oh, uh, homeschooling.
0: So much fun. I'm glad we have started with a little bit of um, the child theme because um, I would definitely want to go there really quickly. And we're starting a little earlier than planned because you have parental duties. When you told me about that, it got me thinking back to our last Natural High conversation three years ago. And um, so I want to begin by telling you a story about why I love you so bloody much.
1: Oh, um, <laughs> well, I'm excited <laughs> I don't know if I have any more insight.
0: Well, not only are you the best, funniest, and most charismatic yoga teacher I've ever had the pleasure of meeting, but when we last spoke on the natural high three years ago, I was separated from my soulmate, my partner. Um, I'd come to America on my own from Europe in the hope of getting back together with her. And when you and I spoke, I'd been out of contact with her completely for a good couple of months, no contact whatsoever. And I was very close to giving up hope of reconciliation. I was totally miserable. Um, And the day after I published our podcast, completely out of the blue, she texted me and said, I loved your Darren Main podcast. And a few minutes after that, she sent me another text saying, would you like to hang out over the next few weeks? Two weeks later, we were enjoying a romantic Thanksgiving in Los Angeles. Six months after that, we got married in San Francisco City Hall. Y- didn't you invite me to the wedding
1: and I couldn't make it? That's right. Correct. Yes. So you are a party.
0: <laughs> you're aware of some of the story. And three years on, <laughs> three years on from that, we are now due to have our first child any day. So, but, Oh, my word. I know. So Darren Maine, if you ever wake up feeling below your best and wondering whether you're having a positive impact on the world, please remember <laughs> this story. You've directly improved my life almost beyond recognition.
1: Oh, I'm so glad. And you know, I have to say, um, you may not feel that way. Once you're changing diapers at three in the morning. <laughs> you may go from loving me to hating me really fast.
0: I want to ask you how your boy is doing. How, what, how have you changed? since? This is, these are selfish questions, of course, because I'm an excited father to be. But how has parenthood changed you? What have you learned? What's so good about it? Are you happier in general? And what tips have you got for me?
1: Oh, I um, I mean, it's a constant change because they're changing so fast. You know, our lives as adults tends to change pretty slow, usually. There can be big things like all of a sudden there's a pandemic and you're working from home and <laughs> your whole world collapses. But generally, like a year in their life is like 10 years in ours, maybe more. So they go from... <laughs> not being able to move to crawling to walking to running into traffic to to learning things to go into school to learning words you don't want them to learn to right you know under is that idea of being a sponge when you're young oh my god they're sponges in a good way a sponge can soak up good things and it can soak up some not so good things <laughs> um but yeah now that he's he's 11 he'll be 11 at the end of this month Whoa. and it's I don't know how that happened, but all of a sudden he's—he's like—he's not—he's still a kid, but having more and more adult-like qualities all the time. Mm. You know, in the stuff he says and the conversations we have, um, he's definitely interested in um, women. I think. Wow. I mean, I—I—I I, I don't know if Phil ultimately prefer women or men or maybe a little of both when <laughs> he not? starts dating. But he bring California he definitely dude. has started to notice women's bodies in a wow. different sort of way. Wow. And it's it's fascinating because I, I want him to be a gentleman about you know his attractions and desire. But I also don't want to squelch his attractions and desires. So it's sort of this weird thing. Like how do I teach him to appreciate the things he finds attractive, the people he finds attractive without objectifying sure. those people. Do you um, feel awkward? Do you ever feel awkward having those
0: conversations or does it come naturally to you?
1: No, I don't feel awkward about it. Um, I, I think the the bigger, I feel more a sense of responsibility about it um, because I know that um so much of like the Me Too movement is it, that has been socialized into men, you know, the, how we treat women, um, and how we treat each other, and and just what it means to be a man, like what is masculine, like and and I think a lot of the notions that I received growing up in the '70s and '80s are definitely messages I don't want him to get. So I feel a responsibility but i don't feel embarrassed like I, I feel like maybe my parents were like all blushing and shy and dreading the talk right and, um you know he's just uh, you know at some point he'll he'll you know he he'll figure out you know more and more i just answer his questions as he asks them I, there's no talk if he asks a question i give him an honest answer Mm. that's age appropriate, of course. <laughs> yeah. It seems to
0: me that um, from the very little I know about you and your kid is that you have a sort of quite a, a relationship, which is of mates, which is exactly the sort of relationship I want to have with my daughter when she comes along. You know, I don't want it to be too rigid or too much of a sort of, you know, parent-daughter relationship. I want to be somebody that she can always feel like she could turn to.
1: Yeah. it's It's hard, though, because they instinctively – the older they get, I mean, like when they're little, they cling to you, right? For everything. But right about second grade, they start to pull away. And I remember the first time dropping him off at school, he used to want me to walk him in every day. And then there was this one day, and it was like, he's like, Dad, can you let me off at the door? And then it was, Can you let me off up the street? <laughs> oh, the pain. <laughs> and I knew it was coming. Yeah. And Stuff like, um, I don't know, it's it's funny how he'll hear a slang word and I'll catch him using it, and I'll it be like, do you know what that means? And he'll be like, yeah. I'm like, what's it mean? <laughs> and he's <laughs> <"It's> so wrong. <laughs> like, if you're going to use the word, at least know what it means. Um, but there's that instinctive desire to, like, not ask for my help or guidance, and because I think he does, they need to figure it out on their own mm. to a certain extent. And you know, like it would be nice to help them avoid every pitfall, but you know, we all have to have like broken hearts in middle school and high school, and of course, those
0: experiences are some of the most know. important of life, right? The life lessons that you learn from your own adversity, yeah. Would you say? But that you're you- in for a ride. Yeah, yeah buckle it. Right. Um, would you say that you subscribe to a particular parenting style, or is it just all sort of you know being, being sort of yeah improvised as and when it happens?
1: There's a great book I recommend it to everyone, especially new parents. But it's a it's a I think a rabbi wrote it because it the, the um. It's called The Value of a Skinny um, Jewish Wisdom for Parenting or something like that. Okay. Um, and it's basically this idea that we learn by getting hurt, by testing our boundaries and, and finding out what happens when we cross them. And so many people try and sort of bubble wrap their kids, you know, never wanting them to get hurt, never wanting them to get in trouble, never wanting them to feel pain. And you don't want them to be so traumatized or so injured that it's irreparable mm. but the fact that they touch that hot stove with, without doing like third degree burns but if they if they won't listen and they wind up doing that they don't do it a second time <laughs> Once you know what totally i mean shy, like yeah. life has a way of teaching us and and to have faith in that process that your your kid is going to at each age push the limit and when they do, when they push it too far, the universe has a way of providing that feedback. You know, if they're mean to their friend at school, then their friend doesn't want them to come over for a play date. And they learn something about, wow, if I'm a jerk, nobody wants to play with me.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: Um, and the and the kids that don't get that message, um, I think turn out, turn out to be sociopaths. <laughs> right? So... For me, it's about like stepping back and giving him the longest leash possible without letting him do irreparable harm, right? Learning not to play in traffic by getting hit by a car is not ideal. Mm. But some of the other stuff, you know.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Let them climb a little higher on the monkey bars, because even if they fall and get hurt, they learn their limits. But you
0: have to resist your own impulses, like you say, to to mollycoddle and to protect and to wrap in cotton wool. Mm.
1: Um,
0: Do you have any any specific aspirations for him? Do you try and um, sort of send him down certain paths in his life? Do you want him to become musical, for example, or do you stand back and think I'm going to let him develop his own passions without trying to direct in any way.
1: My aspiration for him is happiness. Uh. i like, like, seriously, I, uh, um, uh, there's a quote from mother Teresa that, um, you know what the world needs now more than anything else is happy people and and i really believe that the the misery and suffering of the world if we just had more people that took the time to follow their bliss i'm stealing that from joseph campbell but you know to like there's something that makes your heart sing it probably doesn't make my heart sing and that's as the world should be but if you're not doing that why not what's holding you back like what what constraints has the world put on you or have you put on yourself or a little of both that prevents you from quitting the job you hate and you know doing the job you love or dumping the person who's not right for you so that you can go out and find the person who is right for you um and I think that for for me, I just want him to be happy. he has a purpose I don't know what it is it's not for me to figure that out, but I know it's there, and I know if if I just help him explore it will become apparent you know he seems to really like computers he seems to really not like sports a lot of parents like you should get him into sports i'm like he hates it i like i i I want him physical i make sure he's moving and active and doing something physical but it's just because he doesn't play baseball doesn't mean that's a bad thing Of course, it's just he's finding his truth
0: i've spoken to loads of people recently who have been really angry when they've read news adults who have been really angry when they've read news stories about kids partying and doing their thing but you know i empathize because i think back to when i was a teenager when i was 17 18 it was it was such a magical time of life and it's a magical time to be interacting with people on a different level you know interacting with people that you're attracted to and you know that sort of physicality of that is is so magical and i mean do you think kids have been affected by this psychologically more even than adults the covid thing
1: um it's certainly affecting them in a deep way but they tend to be more adaptable than adults hmm. like my cousin i mean my son is doing really well with school right now and i mean how I don't that, think how's all that kids working do. it's
0: all remote is it? it's all virtual
1: all remote at the, at least here in San Francisco. So, what, how does it work? Um, is it like a, a multi Zoom group chat or is it, how, how does it work? Um, every morning he logs in with his teacher and they have little breaks and stuff, but they do a lesson, they do breakout groups, sort of like a meeting at work. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah. And he goes to school for like half the day. And then they have lunch and then he, he has special ed. So he has a reading group in the afternoon and um, that's pretty much it. They have field trips, they're virtual field trips. Um, like they went to the science Academy and the scientists there showed them like bones, uh, like rodent bones and stuff. I don't know, <laughs> but um, he just sits down, he opens his laptop, he does it and, So I think kids are, I I mean, I don't know as I'd want a kindergartner doing it this way, but he's in fifth grade and he seems well suited for it, you know? Mm. So we'll see what happens. But I think the, the lack of play, like his birthday is coming up and I'm like, sorry, but you can't, you can't go to house of air on the trampolines. Mm. I would love to take you to jump on a trampoline. God knows you need it. <laughs> God knows you? I need you to jump on a trampoline. And maybe you need to jump on a trampoline as well. How's it affected you? How I, I code- feel like I do.
0: <laughs> yeah. What's it been like for you? How, how have things changed for you?
1: Um, good, I guess. I mean, uh, for me, yoga is... Yoga is the practice of witnessing the change instead of always trying to control it. Mm. You can direct it a little bit, sort of like you can sail, you put the wind is blowing and you can set your sail and it can take you places, um, but you can't change the nature of the wind, you know? And so I, I'm just trying to learn how to sail. Or learn how to surf rather than fight against the current. Just sort of go with it and direct it into the areas I need to go or would like to go.
0: That is a beautiful metaphor, and, and I remember from our last conversation how succinct you are. Because you've obviously spent years of rumination thinking about life and thinking about all of these things. And I, I, you know, when I when I stop doing meditation for a while, for example, and then I start doing it, I realize how much self-talk there is, how much internal dialogue there is, and, and meditation immediately gives me that awareness of it. Not that I can control it in any way, but that I realize that it's happening.
1: Yeah, well, I think a lot of it is people assume these passing emotions and thoughts, and even your physical state of health or strength or weakness or low energy, high energy and injury, all this, it's like weather, it changes. And yeah, it sort of sucks when you're in the middle of a hurricane or, uh, you know, a monsoon or something, but this shall pass. And the thoughts that are passing through, it's just a story you're telling yourself. Right? And if you can recognize it for that, then you can kick back and enjoy the story. Like a little kid listens to Hansel and Gretel and, uh, you know, oh my God, there's a witch in the woods with a gingerbread house and it can be scary and you know, all of that, but you don't have to, you can enjoy the fear. You can enjoy the experience of the moment of the story without getting so invested in it. And that's sort of how I feel. It's like just because I'm having these thoughts doesn't mean I have to react to them. I can sit and watch them and, and act on them when I need to, I can choose to act or I can choose to sit. I can choose to act the way I've always responded to these types of situations, or I can come up with a totally new way, you know? It's like each moment is a clean slate if you let it be. And meditation allows you to see that. Mm-hmm. Most people are so busy, it's... I just did a video on the monkey mind, and one of the things I compared it to was a like a, a fan, that, like a, you know, to cool yourself down, cool your house down. And when the fan is spinning fast, the blades become invisible. Right their effects yep. are still real right you you feel the wind so they're affecting you if you put your hand in there <laughs> you're really going to feel the effects of those blades but you can't see them because they're moving so fast right but when they slow down or stop then you can clearly see them and meditation for me is slowing the blades down so that you can see them for what they are and then respond to them accordingly
0: Another ingenious nugget of wisdom there. So can you make that internal dialogue less destructive then? Or is it literally about observing and being more aware of it? Because I think we all have it to varying degrees and regularity. Some of us don't even realise it's happening. But I think it's a central, it's a really significant issue in life and where it comes to happiness, health and, and overall balance. So... Do you still have the same degree, the same extent of that internal destructive dialogue where you're not feeling so good? Or is it just about managing it? Or can you actually quieten the storm?
1: Well, I think in yoga, we try to train ourselves to recognize that there's a difference between the dialogue and the action that arises from that dialogue, and in between those two is choice.
0: To so how you react.
1: So if, if I have a, an internal dialogue that um, uh, that my partner just cheated on me, mm-hmm. right? Put aside whether my partner just cheated on me or not. It could just be a story I have. Mm-hmm. It could be a story I have because my partner actually cheated, <laughs> right? But either way, it's a story I have. And... I can have that thought and then I can respond to that thought in about 5 million different ways. Right? I can lock all the doors and change the locks and never let him back in or I can dump him or we can open our relationship and be polyamorous or 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 you know there's like 5 million ways to respond. But when the mind is spinning that fast, maybe it's a good idea to like say wow you know, he's been working late a lot. Um, Is he working late? Or is he seeing someone else? Well, if I just respond as if, oh my God, I know he's cheating and he he really is working late, then that's going to be embarrassing and perhaps destroy a relationship. So just still the mind long enough to say, what do I know? Do I really know this is true? Or is this just a narrative? And regardless of what is really happening, what he's thinking, feeling, and doing, can I respond to him in a thoughtful way? You're, you've been working late. Are you really working late, or is something else going on? And if something else is going on, why? What's going on between us? That's you know that making you feel like you'd rather be working all hours of the night or seeing somebody else and how can we remedy that or can we remedy that is it time to part ways but you can do all of those things thoughtfully and mindfully rather than with a it just responding to a bunch of ideas you have right so there's the thought yeah. and then there's the action right. and the decision connects those two but you can go so many different pathways you just go the habitual one most of the time
0: And do you think that by having that practice that you can, over time, reduce the frequency and the intensity of those thoughts because you're rationalizing them better?
1: Um, I think you can, but I also think it doesn't matter that much. Mm -hmm. Once you see the thought for what it is, then you you, you can, it, it doesn't matter. You can have fun with it. It's like a campfire story. Right. We all go camping and we sit around the campfire and we tell these scary stories and it can be fun to get scared sitting around the campfire, but we don't have to like have it dominate our lives. We can enjoy the feeling. We can enjoy the fantasy. We can, you know, be fully present to it, but we don't forget that it's real. We don't really think Jason is running around with a hockey mask right? You're sitting by the campfire telling spooky stories. Then you go to sleep and you wake up and, okay. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. But in day-to-day life, you respond as if those stories are real and that's where you get into trouble. You don't have to get rid of the stories. You know, you can have your shadow side, Hmm. right? You can have your dark fantasies. (laughs) There's nothing wrong with that. Hmm. Um,
0: I suppose it it could be wrong if if it's having a really negative effect on somebody's life without them having that, you know, release valve, that way of managing it.
1: Well, what's causing the negative effect? Mm. The thought or the decision that arises from that thought? Yeah. Right. You may have some, I don't know, like, uh, I'd have to look at your browser history, but, (laughs) (laughs) right, maybe you have fantasies about really... um, shall we say domination and humiliation mm. fantasies, right? Mm. You have multiple things you can do with that, right? You don't have to act on it. yeah, and if you do act on it, it might be with a willing partner who is sort of your mirror image, right? the The problem comes when you deny it and pretend it's not there. But when you stop and say, "Oh wow, for some reason, this sort of, Weird kink of mine is it keeps coming up for me. I don't have to act on it. I don't have to force somebody into submission, right? That's I can have a choice about what I do with that dark fantasy. If I have violent fantasies, maybe I can go play laser tag with my friends instead of shooting up a schoolyard, right? There, there are ways to be with those thoughts that do not involve hurting other people.
0: Wow. Right, yeah, yeah. it's it's really interesting. You have an almost intimidating amount of clarity about things like this. Do you spend a lot of time with yourself? I mean, you obviously do quite a bit of meditation, but do you do you think about these issues a lot? Do you read a lot about them? How have you come to such clear conclusions about how to manage your life?
1: I have been reading books on yoga philosophy and other um philosophies for thirty years. <laughs> So <laughs> right. it, it tends to tends to warp your mind a little bit. No, I mean, I've been studying Buddhist philosophy and and in Christian mysticism and a little bit of Kabbalah, which is Jewish mysticism and a little bit of Sufism, which is um, the 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 mystical branch of Islam. But mostly yoga is my primary focus. Mm. And they all really say the same thing. The problem is, not so much the thought, but the decisions that arise from those thoughts. But the thoughts are spinning so fast that you don't realize you're even making a decision. Mm -hmm. I mean, the classic example is you want to go on a diet. You say, you look in the mirror and you say, wow, I've gained a few pounds. I want to take a few pounds off. And so on a conscious level, you're saying I'm going to reduce my calories and increase my exercise but your mind is spinning so fast that you can't see that you have a whole bunch of stories under the hood that are spinning so fast, like that fan that you can't see it. And, but it has its effect, right? Those thoughts are swirling super fast. You can't see them, but they're having their effects. And so before you know it, you're at Ben and Jerry's, right? Or (laughs) eating a whole bag of Oreos (laughs) and skipping the gym. And you think, wow, how did that happen? Why is this so hard? Well, it's because you didn't go under the hood to look at this and say, wow, when I get lonely, my response is to stuff food in my face. Mm. That is my thing. And when it's happening super fast, it feels like I'm making a choice, but I'm not. I'm just replaying the same thoughts and then the same actions arising from those thoughts over and over and over again once you slow it down, you can say, I'm feeling lonely, but I have a choice about what I do with that loneliness. Right. I don't have to turn to my best friends, Ben and Jerry, to, <laughs> to deal with my loneliness. I can call up my buddy Oliver on the phone mm-hmm. and tell him, hey, I'm feeling lonely. Can we go for a walk or have a Zoom chat or go to a yoga class together? Right? I can choose differently, but I can't if it's moving so quickly. And, and so once you get that, then changing your diet, changing your exercise, making decisions about your life, you, you were not predestined to do anything, really. You've, right. you, you've made choices. And you continue to make choices, frequently bad ones that your parents gave to you. You can change, you can choose differently. I love it. Um... You have to quiet the mind first. And there, therein lies meditation. Right.
0: Okay. Um, Yeah, your clarity on this reminds me of a a conversation I had recently with a Zen, an ordained Zen Buddhist priest, Susan O'Connell. Wonderful lady and she we were talking about this we were talking about the emotion of anger for example and and i was saying you know when anger arises arises in us how do we better manage it how should we manage it and she said with with these strong sometimes negative emotions remind yourself what is your intention if you've got a clear idea of what your intention or what your commitment to life is then you can refer back to that. So, for example, you know, I I think of myself as somebody that wants to spread happiness, wants to give joy to people. I genuinely want to do that in my life, but I don't always react in that way. You know, if somebody pisses me off, Mm. I get angry about it and I can react. And as you say, I can do something which has a negative influence on others. But if you can refer back to this rule book that you have about yourself, about what your intentions are, your genuine intentions, I want to make other people happy, then you can quickly sort of dissolve and rationalize those those feelings and help to manage them
1: yeah well i was having a conversation with uh, one of the people i work with and um like work with like for private sessions and we were talking about anger and this person was a black lives matter activist Mm -hmm. and um he was saying how he gets angry and is that anger bad? And I said, no, that anger is not bad. That anger is telling you something. It's the equivalent of your hand being on a hot stove. It's saying, look over here, there's something important I need you to look at.
0: Right, Right.
1: a trigger. The problem isn't that you're angry. You should be angry when you see somebody being um, with uh, with a knee on their Mm -hmm. neck, gasping, begging for air while people stand around and look, that is cause for anger. The question is not, do I get angry or not? The question is, what is that anger telling me to do? And frequently for most of us, anger gets us to react in a habitual way. It gets us to lash out in this mindless, just thrashing around wildly in ways that don't solve the problem, And frequently cause harm to ourself and others at the same time. So the problem is not the anger. The goal is not to get rid of the anger, but to quiet yourself long enough to listen to the anger. What is the most effective way to address the cause of that anger? In this case, police brutality against people of color, right? If you're feeling anger is a normal response to seeing another human being murdered, (laughs) Right, that is normal. Don't chase that anger away. The question becomes now, what do you do about it? Right, do I go screaming and yelling and complaining and whatever, or do I focus that anger, that energy like a laser beam and say, let's organize, let's focus, let's vote, let's look at policies that need to change and push for those changes? Right, but until you sit with the anger and listen to it and learn from it without that immediate reaction, you're stuck in reaction mode and you become much, much less effective. Your anger is justified. I'm not taking that away from anyone. I'm just saying, what do you do with it? Yeah, totally. You feel jealous because your partner is not paying enough attention to you. There's nothing wrong with that feeling of jealousy. The question is, are you just reacting to it? Are you being passive aggressive with it? Or are you sitting with it and saying, where is this jealousy coming from? Mm. Is it coming from something they're doing or a belief that I hold that is maybe toxic and unhelpful, maybe a little of both? What am I gonna do with it? What, how do I resolve this jealousy Maybe that's finding a new partner. Maybe that's getting into couples counseling. Maybe it's adjusting my own expectations about what I need and want from you. Maybe it's not reasonable to want you to spend 24-7 with me or text me 50 times a day to placate my insecurities, right?
0: Yeah. Instead of viewing these thoughts as overwhelming and destructive feelings in your life, it's actually your body, your mind speaking to you.
1: Yeah, I mean, the key is in the listening. And again, it comes back to meditation. Whether you do that on a yoga meditation cushion, a prayer bench, in a Zen monastery or in a Christian monastery or sitting on the beach looking at the waves, it doesn't really matter. You find the path that works for you. But until you still your mind, you're in reaction mode. And reaction mode is never good. Right. Yeah. Never, ever, ever. You might, like they say, a broken clock can be right twice a day. Mm. So occasionally you'll hit the mark, but for the most part, you'll always be off and you'll always be agitating and always making things worse and always creating self-fulfilling prophecies. Right? Yeah. If I'm jealous and I don't sit with that and figure out what the cause of that jealousy is, then there's a chance I'm going to start to alienate you. You're going to want to spend less time with me, which will lead to more jealousy until eventually something breaks. And you say, you know what? I've had it. I'm done. Goodbye. Don't ever text me or call me again. (laughs) Right. Hmm. So learning the art of owning your feelings, however justified they may be frequently, they are right. Anyone who can see the George Floyd, Um, or hear the George Floyd stuff or uh, all the accounts of the various things and not get angry, right? Not get angry about that. Mm. That is not human. That's if you didn't feel something, you would be truly be a sociopath. The, the issue is not, did I get angry? The issue is I'm angry. There's something to see here, something that needs to be addressed here. Pay attention. What is it? And what is the best way to resolve it? You can't do that from reaction mode. It has to be from the calm, quiet place. And that's the power of like Martin Luther King's activism or Gandhi's activism. They didn't start with, we're pissed off because of the injustices of the world. They started off with, let's get grounded with ourselves. Right? And then we have the power to march across the bridge knowing they're going to turn dogs on us and billy clubs on us, but the world is going to see and see clearly exactly how brutal things are, how unjust things are, right? But you don't define that by that's like a like a Zen master level of mm. self-discipline. Mm.
0: Yeah, I, I definitely want to um, talk to you more about zeitgeist uh, momentarily. But uh, before we move on, what are your meditation practices? H- um, how much time do you set aside for meditation every day? Do you ever miss it or do you just does it ever feel like a chore to you or do you feel like you need it like oxygen and water in, in your life these days?
1: Yes to the last one and yes to the do I ever miss it. Okay. <laughs> right. For me, it's not about right or wrong. You're not a good person because you meditate or a bad person. Um, if you don't meditate, it's, it's about, I always say to my son, I say it to him before he goes to bed. Cause I think it's important to start tomorrow, tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, and I say it to him as soon as I, I wake him up in the morning, choose the day you're going to have. Right. And that's meditation is one of those choices. Wow. I, I can choose to meditate or I can choose to sit and watch Netflix, but those choices lead to outcomes and it's science. They're very predictable, right? A hundred apples can fall from uh, the apple tree and all 100 of them are going to pelt Isaac Newton on the head because it's Hmm. very predictable. This is thing called gravity and this is how it works. Hmm. Apples fall down onto Isaac Newton's head, evidently. And, and, So gravity is a thing. Karma is a thing. You choose and there are effects. So do I always choose right? No. (laughs) No, I make tons of bad choices, including skipping meditation some days. But what I can do is I can, even in that, I can learn. I can say, how did this day go where I woke up and I sat in meditation versus this other day where I woke up and I jumped right into my busyness. Mm. Right, not did I get everything I want because that never happens. But how did I respond to life, to the challenges of life, and was I pre- able to appreciate the beautiful things that happened in those days? Mm. Um. So yeah, I don't. I, I I I've given up on being strident about these things. But I'm also like, I would say it's like that joke about the dentist, where the guy says to the dentist, do I have to floss every tooth every day? And he said, no, just floss the ones you want to keep. (laughs) (laughs) Beautiful. And it's like, do you have to meditate? No, just the ones where you want to be happy. Okay. So you don't see where you want to respond. Okay. Yeah, of
0: course. So it is something that you need to do every day. Then essentially is what you're saying. I love the way you use imagery to make some of these difficult concepts very accessible to the layman like myself.
1: There's a beautiful passage in the new Testament where Jesus says, um, he's, he's praying. He's like, thank you, father for revealing, for for hiding from the wise and learned what you have revealed to these little children. Mm -hmm. We all know this and we see it in children's stories. I mean, if if you want to learn about the mysteries of life, read children's stories. Mm. Right. I wrote a book about the wizard of Oz, but it could be any children's like embedded in those simple stories is the answer you're seeking. Mm.
0: How much meditation do you do every day? And do you have any sort of, you know, specific practices? It <laughs> Depends you... on the day. Right. Of course. <laughs> on average, what would, what would be standard to make you feel uh, sated? Half hour. Okay. And you do it in the mornings?
1: Mostly, yeah. Mm.
0: Okay. Interesting. Have you done uh, any writing over the last three years since we last spoke? Have you published anything else?
1: <sighs> what if I... Um, I have a having nothing to do with meditation. I have a book that came out maybe two years ago, a year and a half ago called social media for teachers and healers, wow. which has nothing to do with meditation. It's just about how to, if as a yoga teacher or a massage therapist, how to use Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and so on to not just market yourself. Cause I think that's sort of lame, but how to communicate and have it be an extension of, the work you do, how to educate and inspire people, which has the added benefit of also being a great way to market yourself. <laughs> right.
0: Okay. But it was more technical then than spiritual, would you say?
1: Yeah. I I mean, I believe that, um, I mean, when I wrote yoga and the path of the urban mystic, mm-hmm. the, what I'm basically advocating is that you're not giving up the world. You're living in the world and we live in a world. Like I hear this all the time from people like, Oh, Facebook. Oh, Twitter and I'm like (laughs) it's just a thing it's like a stone right I can build a house I can build a wall with the stone I can club you over the head with it it's Mm -hmm. just a thing it's a thing that has the what I use it for is what it will be do I think Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and other things can be profoundly harmful to individuals and society? Absolutely. To go use it in a different way. Mm. It's here. It's not going anywhere. Not anytime soon. And you know, this, I don't know, this, uh, this pretending that these things do not exist does not make them go away.
0: Yeah, it's it's really it's really interesting. You've all preempted my next question really because I was I wanted to know whether the speed of change in technology does worry you. Is it working for us? Is it a symbiotic relationship um, or do we need to take a serious look at it? I mean, social media for example, many kids um love it, especially during in COVID. Um but I, I look at certain forms of social media. I only use Twitter, but I look at Twitter and I see comments online and I think you, whoever's making this vitriolic comment, would never say that to somebody's face. But so it is in some way social media sort of facilitating division and polarization. Polarization seems to be the most on-vogue word right now, relevant word. And and I do feel in some ways social media does create those divisions. But as you say, it can go either way depending on how you want to use it.
1: Well, I think uh, without getting too geeky, I think that there's two reasons to modify your behavior around any given thing. Um, One is from an internal compass that says, this is who I want to be. This is the person I want to be. And the other is from social approval or consequence, right? So the fact that I say please and thank you is probably the product of my mother making me say it. Right, mm. and the, the, the reason I don't, um, if I'm frustrated waiting in line at the post office and it's taking forever and they don't seem to be very cognizant of the line snaking out the door and you finally get up to them and they say, hi, how are you today? <laughs> and what you're feeling is miserable. I've been waiting for an hour <laughs> while well, you diddled around and took your sweet time. <laughs> right? Mm. You're a jerk. Mm. <laughs> that might be what you're feeling, but there's this external pressure that says, if I behave that way, yep. there's a consequence. Social convention. People won't like me and I'll look like a jerk and no one will want to be my friend. Yep. So we have this external force that's saying, don't behave like a jerk, mm. right? And and most of us bow to that, which is not in- inherently bad, but then you go online and that is removed. Right which means the other internal compass of right and wrong and the decision of who I want to be becomes all the more important because we don't have the eyes of society looking at you. You have a a basic level of anonymity that allows you to say what you're really feeling, Hmm. which you have every right to do, of course, except for you sort of being a jerk. And so the practice of meditation in all of its forms is is that mirror that you hold up that allows you to say, is this who I want to be? Do I want to be the person that says really mean things in Twitter comments,
0: so right? True. There's an appeal there. So true.
1: Right? Mm. Is this who I want to be? Mm.
0: Yeah, beautiful. Um, it just gives and, you that and so, space to think and to respond rather than to react, I suppose.
1: Right. When you remove the social consequence or at least lessen it, the need for that personal inner responsibility becomes all the more apparent. Mm. What do you want? What do I want? A COVID-19 vaccine would be nice. <laughs>
0: it's on its way it's just around the corner apparently do you think um, apparently I mean it feels there's some optimism in the air about this do you think that we will do you think we'll learn anything from this what will? What have you learned from it and do you think well, my concern is that we'll just go back to exactly the default way of living that was occurring before this happened and that we're on this sort of inevitable path of, towards destruction because we're not prepared to change our ways
1: well you can never go back hmm Right. You can't unexperience something. Yep.
0: True.
1: Right. Somebody who has experienced a trauma in their life, let's say they were assaulted. You can never go back to being the person you were before that trauma, but you can become something beautiful Mm. or you can live your life as damaged goods. Right. I think this experience has been very traumatic. It's shaken the foundation of how we live and, how we interact with each other and what we thought was important turned out not to be all that important. And some people have used this time to really do some self-exploration and consider what they want from life. Other people will not have learned much (laughs) Mm -hmm. and they won't go back to the way it was, but they'll find something equally as unhealthy.
0: Yeah absolutely i think no i think
1: it depends on the individual
0: on the individual beautiful perfect segue because i do think a lot of the time now i've sort of on my journey i've spent a lot of time blaming the man blaming corporations blaming the establishment and then i realize that it's almost a way of you know hiding behind the problem instead of actually affecting it myself and i think that we can control ourselves on a personal level we can't control who who you know owns what country company what companies do what you know who in power but we can take responsibility for our own actions can't we i can make an actionable difference to the environment by living in a more sustainable fashion that's the only thing i can control and this is becoming clearer and clearer to me that you know i don't what Mm -hmm. i what i can't do is continue to make excuses by blaming the other
1: yeah the years and years ago um before most of your listeners were probably alive or (laughs) <laughs> uh, or certainly aware of such things, there was a a shampoo company, a personal hygiene product company called BWC Beauty Without Cruelty. Okay, and their whole claim to fame was they produced products like shampoo that were not tested on animals. Um, and it was radical at the time, right? Right. So people who wanted to be conscious of animal cruelty and how we treat animals all flocked to this one product. Mm -hmm. And so many people did it that more and more products popped up and now you can't pick up a bottle of shampoo that doesn't say not tested on animals. Absolutely. It's (laughs) the
0: main sales pitch.
1: I mean, if if you do test your products on animals, you're going to have a difficult time turning a profit. Absolutely. And, And I think that what we need to remember, and it's the dirty little secret that many empower, and by empower I mean politicians, I mean church leaders, I mean uh, CEOs of large companies, what they don't want you to know, and may not even be conscious of themselves, is the way they succeed, the keep power is by disempowering you. Right, the minute you realize you have a choice, that you don't have to do what they tell you to do, Mm. then they lose power. Yep. And so when it comes to like big companies, we all complain about big companies. Well, no one is forcing you to buy Coca-Cola or to eat dinner at McDonald's, right? The fastest way you can, I just heard McDonald's is coming out with their own veggie burger Mm. finally after all these years. Mm. Um, which is great for the cows, not so good for your heart, I'm sure. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> the cows will do really well, mm. <laughs> not so much the people eating it. Mm. Um, but the bottom line is they're not doing that because they care about the cows or doing the right thing or the planet or any of that. They're doing it because enough people are going to Burger King that has a veggie burger.
0: So true.
1: Right? I'm not advocating that either, but I'm just saying there's a reason this shift is happening. There's a reason that um, more and more people are looking for options in their menu, not that they're gonna become hardcore vegans, but that they're just looking for more sustainable ways to eat. Yeah. As that has shifted, the world has shifted.
0: So you really believe that the, ind- the consumer directs the corporation rather than the other way around?
1: Absolutely.
0: Mm, that's beautiful, it's a lovely thought. I really but know. only
1: if you're conscious. If you're not conscious, you're gonna watch every ad on TV and believe the crap they tell you. Mm.
0: So true. Um, and you know, economics and convenience come into it so much for the individual as well. Like I still buy loads of stuff from Amazon and the amount of packaging that comes through my door because of Amazon is absolutely ludicrous. So instead of hiding, you know, instead of just blaming politicians, blaming corporations, I'm gonna start blaming myself because they're the actionable changes that can be made at this point.
1: Yeah. I, I just think that when we become more conscious, we make more conscious choices. And those conscious choices, uh, again, I'm sort of getting geeky here, but karma is cause and effect, which are not separate, but appear to be separated because of the thing called time. Right. Right? If I smoke a cigarette today and a cigarette tomorrow and a cigarette, you know, the day after, and it goes up to a pack a day, you know, every day, it doesn't seem to have any effect because the the smoking and the lung cancer are separated by time. Mm -hmm. And then when the lung cancer finally comes, and I say, "Oh, poor me, what did I do to deserve this?" Well, lots of things. Every day, Mm -hmm. (laughs) every time you lit a cigarette, Mm -hmm. right. Nothing when we slow that fan down, we start to basically collapse time. We get to see more clearly the relationship between cause and effect. They're not separate. They're not separate. You can't sever them. Every cause has an effect. And once you do that, then you can start to make those choices. But until then, you're just sort of battered around by consumerism. Hmm. Right. I watched a Coke commercial the other day and everybody was happy and water skiing and had a tight body and you know what I mean? And instead of actually stopping to think if I drink this three hundred calorie can of garbage, I'm not telling people not to drink coke. I'm just saying know what you're drinking. Yeah. Be aware. Do it consciously. Make your choice. But you don't get a choice until you slow the mind down.
0: Right. So
1: true. So very true.
0: You um, talk about karma. What do you think happens when we die? Another small
1: question for you. Um, I don't know. You'll have to ask me when I'm dead.
0: <laughs> <laughs> do you subscribe to the Buddhist idea of uh, Nirvana and you know building up enough credits that, uh, uh, being on this eternal cycle of rebirth and suffering until you build up enough credits to, to get into Nirvana?
1: Um, I don't know what I believe. I honestly don't what I believe. What I know is that energy doesn't go away. It gets transformed. Right, That's like basic physics, right? The universe isn't more or less empty. Energy is just changing shapes. And this energy that we currently call Darren Maine is going to change shapes. It's doing it right now, right? My face looks different than the face I had when I was five, hmm. right? So energy doesn't go away it transforms and when i die i will of course transform in a pretty significant way in that the shape of darren will be gone and and a new shape will take its place now whether that's reincarnation or i come back as a sunflower i don't know Mm. (laughs) and you don't really care
0: as long as you're doing good in this life right
1: or maybe I, you know, maybe there's a heaven and a hell or whatever. I have no idea. Mm-hmm. I just know the energy doesn't go away, it gets transformed and it's going to happen. It doesn't matter what I believe. I could spend a lot of time thinking about is there a God? Am I going to go to heaven? Am I going to reincarnate? If so, as what? As who? Maybe I'll be a rich, famous person, or maybe I'll, you know, if I'm mean to homeless people, I'll come back as a homeless person someday. Like, just, you know, I wouldn't, I don't think it's a wise idea to put a lot of negativity into the universe. It tends to have a boomerang effect. And I don't think you escape it by death.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Because energy doesn't go away. It gets transformed. Hmm
0: physics 101 <laughs> nice i describe uh, i describe good vibes as a domino effect i think that you can you can see when you have a positive effect on other people you can see that spreading outwards but also when you're angry when you're nasty when you're you know short tempered with people that also has a domino effect doesn't it you create positivity or negativity around you based on your own actions exactly um, it's been a very emotional time in America, uh, with the election. Um, I, uh, I sent you that Van Jones YouTube clip. Oh, you've probably seen it already, but I found it. So inspiring. I,
1: I, and I, I had, you sent me that and I posted it. As soon as I saw it, I posted it on Facebook.
0: So good. So good. Yeah. I feel really positive. I, I was crying. There were tears of joy in my household when Joe Biden became president elect. Um, I, I feel there's just he's just a man of integrity. I mean, anybody would seem like a man of integrity compared to Donald Trump. Don't mean to be too um, disparaging. But do you feel that, too? Do you feel a genuine, authentic sense of integrity returning to to the White House and to American politics? Or is it am I just falling foul of more politics and polit- politicians lip service?
1: No, I think, you know, politics is a dirty business in the sense that it's about compromise and far too frequently politicians of all stripes, even the ones I vote for, have to compromise their values to keep their jobs. So you true. know what I mean? That said, um, there is basic human decency, right? I can compromise my values without calling you mean names, mm. I can make choices and trade-offs in order to get something done Hmm. without being mean-spirited or patently dishonest and just making stuff up. I can maybe pay more attention to some constituents than others because they tend to vote for me without pitting one group against another. And human empathy is something that is a good quality, right? Like when, when you see a a sports player taking a knee to think what happened to, what have they witnessed? What are they feeling that would inspire them to take such a bold statement? Hmm we may not agree on the solution or the policy, but clearly something has happened that they feel passionate about. And can I just have empathy enough to treat them with respect, as as opposed to call them sons of bitches, right? Mm. There's a big difference there. And I don't think we can overlook that. I didn't agree with much of anything George W. Bush did as a president. I can't. I would be hard pressed to list ten things that I can say. Yeah, I was really with him on that. And I think he had a basic level of decency that I really miss. <laughs> wow. You know what I mean? I I I don't think George Bush would have said most of what Donald Trump has said.
0: Oh yeah, he's completely changed the parameters. I agree with you completely. Um, yeah, comparatively, Bush seems like a sage compared to Donald Trump <laughs> and some of the things. He well, said. they all do. Yeah,
1: because there's a basic level of human decency that I think should be that we should demand from our leaders, right? Absolutely. And we, and we can debate the policies. You know, like the, I have friends that think very differently on policy, but. If you don't want your kids to hear it, if you'd scold your child for speaking that way in kindergarten, mm. <laughs> preschool, then I think we that's not too little to ask from our politicians
0: yeah so true uh, what van jones said in, in that youtube clip on cnn which by the way i thought was absolutely sensational amazing not sensational but superb coverage of the elections the cnn coverage um van jones was saying uh, it wasn't just george floyd that had the, the knee on his neck well, the whole country felt as if they had the knee on their neck during this this time and um yeah, I, I, to personally speaking, like I've even been worried to send text messages and WhatsApps, and when I when I realise that I'm concerned about sending those things just in case somebody might be watching or listening, that might just be pure paranoia. But it's created by a sort of a silent that silent assassin of autocracy. And I wonder if Trump had, had managed to get another term, whether he'd have tried to bend the rules even further. Would we have just seen another four years of him? Would we have seen even longer? You know, and and I think. I don't don't want to sound dramatic. (laughs) Yes, the answer to all of that is yes. Yeah, and I feel sometimes like I'm being dramatic when I think this was a fight, this was a pivotal moment in the history of democracy because you look at China and you look at Russia and it feels like America is still the antithesis to a degree of that, Uh, you know, a bastion of of liberalism. But with Trump in in power for another four years, I I truly worry about, Mm. I would have worried about a long-term dark era for the world.
1: Yeah, well, there's. uh, I don't know if you are a Game of Thrones fan. (laughs) Who isn't? But there's. Who isn't? (laughs) Um, Until the last season, I was a a fan. And then I was like, oh, God, you so ruined it. But there's a, a wonderful, very informative scene in the series where Littlefinger is. Talking and he gives this little speech and it's chaos is a ladder, and he's basically talking about his, how he, uh, how he gathers power, and it's by creating chaos about turning one house against another, right. and and turning one person against another, and that chaos that he creates, he climbs as a ladder, and he, he goes on to say, some people are afraid to climb and some people start to climb and then fall very few people make it to the top. I'm I'm paraphrasing. And of course, I don't want to ruin it for listeners who haven't seen it, but he doesn't quite make it to the top. Mm. But that governing philosophy, that approach to gathering power to yourself is something that I think Donald Trump has mastered. Mm. Because it's not just one thing, right? You barely catch your breath from a, a sexist tweet and he's saying something racist or locking children in cages or encouraging good people on both sides or, you know, it's just, you don't have a chance to catch your breath and, and that chaos becomes his ladder. And so our response to that as hard as it is, and it's unfair and I get that our personal responsibility to that is to not be chaos. To not contribute to that chaos and i know i sound like a broken record but the tool we have to do that is meditation is prayer is Beautiful. yoga right some version of those things mm-hmm. right to find that non-chaotic center to rise above all of his noise And you can both say, you know what? That was incredibly offensive or this policy is cruel and unjust and I'm going to fight you on it, but I'm not going to do it from a place of chaotic outrage. I'm going to do it from a place of calm, reasoned, focused action. Mm. That's what Martin Luther King would do. That's what Nelson Mandela did. That's what Gandhi did. That's what Jesus did to free his people from the Roman Empire. You can go down the list. Right? Yep. Yeah. Amazing. It starts Uh, by not reading his tweets. (laughs) Don't read his tweets and sit and meditate. You're you're absolutely (laughs) right. It's a
0: very real strategy. I keep going on about this brilliant documentary that I watched recently called Hyper Normalization, which is specifically about that, about sowing confusion within the masses in order to um, maintain and strengthen your grip on power. It happened in Russia um, uh, very much so during Putin's reign. And um, it's a strategy which seems to have been taken up by Trump as well. Like some of these, a lot of these comments seemed so scattergun and so horrific. But as you say, or well, you seem to be alluding to, there's more of a strategy behind it than we, we would we would think initially.
1: Yeah. Well, it's hard. It's it's like catnip. It takes a, a strong level of commitment to peace, internal peace, to be able to respond peacefully. Mm. I mean, not to harp on the ending of (laughs) Game of Thrones, but the reason the Mad Queen wasn't long for the throne was because she went mad, right? She let her emotions, uh, Daenerys was a perfect example of one who could have gone either way, right? Mm. She had some noble goals, but she let her rage and her desire for vengeance get the better of her. Right. And we can't be that, right? We can, we have a choice. I believe the choice of Joe Biden, who from everything I can see seems to be just a decent guy. Even if I disagree with him on some policy stuff or whatever, he seems like a decent human being. Um, To choose one mad queen for another mad queen is not moving in the right direction. Um, Mm. And I would say... You know insisting that our leaders whatever we think of their policies are not mad, <laughs> are not vengeful, are not playing to our most base emotions is should be our number one focus. Everything else we can sort out, you know, like what does the healthcare system look like? A very important conversation to have. But I don't think we can really effectively have that until we have decent, well-intentioned people who are committed to like mm. thoughtful resolutions.
0: One hundred percent. Just when I thought I couldn't like Joe Biden anymore, I read an article today about how he's bringing his rescue dog to the White House when he takes over, which is uh, brought, made me teary again. I mean, Kamala, she's from Oakland, and I went to see a rally of hers in Oakland, and she is, she just. Seems to emanate such goodness and she really wants to make a positive change to this world. I do wonder about the money in politics and the money in electoral campaigns and how damaging that can be. I wonder who Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are beholden to as a consequence of getting into the White House. You know, Um, Kamala was asked why, you know, she she, uh, dropped out of the presidential campaign initially and she said, I don't have enough money. If you don't have enough money, you cannot become the president. And, you know, when, when you consider where this money's coming from, then you think, well, what sort of favors are owed and to whom? So no matter how ideological you are, no matter how pure you are, are your hands going to be tied to a degree once you do get into power?
1: Yeah. Well, I, I think that we're not electing saints here. Hmm. We're not electing the pope. <laughs> um, that's not to excuse anything. It's just to say, We should be open-eyed about what we're talking about here. We're talking about very human leaders. And the best we can do is hold them to account. What that money buys is advertising designed to manipulate people. You will be less easily manipulated if you are um, calm, rational, focused, and clear. Mm. So be that. And then the money becomes less powerful.
0: Yeah. Very true. Yeah, it's
1: like the can of coke, you know.
0: <laughs> it's a beautiful, beautiful bit of imagery. That okay, let's just go back to Game of Thrones for a second. Do you think that whatever the, how could it have ended better? Like, are we? I think that we were set up to not enjoy and be disappointed by that ending because it was such a great series. We were disappointed that it was ending anyway. And you've just described a, a sort of fable there at the end, where which describes humankind so beautifully that you have a pathway, you have choices through your life. Everybody's, you know, inherently good, but they can be steered in the wrong direction. And wasn't that wasn't that a beautiful tale in terms of you know a, a reminder of how we can take the wrong path? Um, the fact that she, you know, uh, mm. yeah, how, how could we have improved the ending? <laughs>
1: um, I think that this is the storyteller in me, not the Yogi. Mm. Cause I think the, the basic concept is solid, right? Like the outcome was a good ending in the sense that it, game of Thrones has always been about who's sitting on the iron throne, being the, the ruler of your life, which, which of your instincts is sitting on that throne within, is it the Jon Snow or is it the, um, Cersei Lannister, you know, like all of these characters are within you. That's so what made it such a powerful story, and the 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 relationship between um, you know Jon Snow and Daenerys. She had been motivated by power from the beginning, and he was motivated by letting go of power from the beginning. Right. So all of these things, it, it, it wasn't like it was a bad outcome. It was actually quite a good outcome in in that sense. But I feel like from a storytelling perspective, th- th- there needed to be more foreshadowing. They spent a lot of time making Daenerys look very saintly mm. Um and not enough time showing the conflict within her. There wasn't enough subtext which suggested that she was going to go the wrong way. But yeah. isn't that good
0: when it's unpredictable? I mean, the the most annoying ending for me would have been the Hollywood ending, where every all you know, good prevails, uh, good outs ultimately, and everybody ends up just having a big yeah. you know feast and shagging each other. That would have been that would have been really much more annoying, wouldn't it, for such a great series?
1: Yeah, I. I. It's not that I disagree with the ending. Like, I think it was really powerful, like the, how the Night King met his demise. Um, that was foreshadowed. I just feel like they could have foreshadowed a bit more. Because a uh, good storytelling is about helping you connect the dots within your own head. Right? So, when you look at Luke Skywalker or Darth Vader slash Anakin Skywalker, their conflict is our conflict and it's so it's almost on the nose (laughs) there the the conflict is it's just you see it at every turn those conflicts are apparent like luke skywalker is inherently good trying not to go to the dark side his father made that was inherently good and chose the dark side and now is wrestling with i want to be on the dark side but it's just pulled to the light that conflict is one that we all have at any given moment in life and you could see how it came to resolution in the end right Darth Vader didn't just it wasn't just evil you could see the conflict in him even behind the mask until he ultimately chose to throw the emperor down the reactor I think in Game of Thrones you couldn't really see that all the time right. and and that I think was my my challenge with it not so much the I the ending I thought was okay I mean Bran the three-eyed raven is sort of like what in yoga we would call buddhi the wisdom or the the part of us that um can make wise thoughtful decisions that are informed by, but not tethered to past experience. Okay. Uh, and he had that quality. I think he was a, a good choice, but again, it sort of came out of nowhere. I think they could have um, found a way to get him on the iron throne. That was a little more smooth mm. <laughs> from a storytelling perspective. And I think if they had a full season, they probably would have done that. Mm. If they had a few more episodes, okay. But,
0: Meanwhile, we're just going to have to dress up and go to the conventions and do some role playing.
1: Excellent. I want to be Daenerys. (laughs) Um,
0: You've done so much in your life already. You've spread so much positivity. You're an amazing human being. Have you got any goals, any targets, any aspirations which you still, which are yet to achieve and which might shape uh, your life going forward? No. It's living in the moment, isn't it? It's the Buddhism.
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't know what comes next. I mean, I'm just. I'm sort of liking the transition I'm in right now. Like, I'll probably write more books. I've I've got a few in mind. Um, I'm really having fun with, um, I'm like creating videos. I think videos are a really fun way to share things with, share your ideas with the world. 100%. so I'm um, I'm really enjoying pursuing that. Tell us how we can watch your videos. How
0: can we watch that content? Do we just go to the um, site?
1: I've just started a YouTube channel. I mean, I've had one for a while, but I haven't done much with it. But I'm trying to post a few videos a month now. Amazing. Um, and, and putting more thought into it, like having a, a structure to it that is a bit more not just like, yeah, I think I'll make a video.
0: <laughs> well, I'm pretty sure I'm on your um, mailing list and I haven't heard anything about that.
1: Well, I'm, I'm sort of waiting until I get a few more videos up. I, I want to have a channel worth visiting before I start promoting it.
0: I'm so excited but, to go and um, check that
1: out. I'm having fun with it and I'm learning a lot and, and learning a, a more about the quality and what types of things work and don't work mm-hmm. because it's a new medium. It's not like teaching, teaching yoga in front of a room full of people. Or giving a philosophy talk in front of a room full of people is a it's a different way to engage people. And so, as I've
0: said to you already, you are so there's so much imagery behind your words. Um, you use imagery so much to describe um, to break down concepts, and I think it's really powerful. So if you were able to use the that sort of platform to do it, is that the goal? Is that what you're doing? Are you breaking down difficult concepts, concepts for people in, you know?
1: Yeah. I mean, my idea is to have different types of videos um, because different things speak to different people. Mm. But one of the things I want to do is to um, break down videos where you take a story. Right. um, Like I did, I posted one a month or so ago um, on Aladdin, the Disney movie. Mm -hmm. And, and Aladdin and Jafar and the genie and how the bottle represents the ego and, and how um, the genie has all the power in the universe, but it's crammed into this tiny little bottle. Um, and, and just talking about that and how the quest for power is what ultimately traps Jafar in the bottle, right? Mm-hmm. That compassion and loving kindness is, and selflessness is what freed the genie both his and Aladdin's. And it's also what trapped Jafar's his quest for power at the end of the movie. And so I think breaking these stories down is a powerful way to understand our own dilemma, right? I mean, the genie has all the power in the universe, but it's bound and shackled and stuffed into this tiny little bottle. That is you, Wow! right? You have created this false... Um, ego called Oliver, and you have all the power in the universe, but you're trapped by your own ideas, your own beliefs, your own self identity. You're saying, This is who I am, and it's inherently self limiting, right? And th- the way you escape from that is selflessness, hmm. right? Yeah, I mean, when you're selfless, like uh, b- being a father is the ultimate act of selflessness you would give your life for this other being and that's when it starts to break down you start to feel those shackles release when and when you can do that not just for your child your son or daughter but you can do it for a stranger Hmm. or somebody who is not part of your tribe right somebody who looks different or worships differently than you when you truly start to do that then those shackles come right off but someone like Donald Trump, who's just on a total quest for power, he is bound by that. He's trapped by that. He can, never, he can accrue a lot of worldly power, and he has, but he will never be free. He doesn't strike, I mean, just look at the man. He doesn't look like the picture of Zen equanimity. <laughs> he, looks, <laughs> he just looks like a horribly tortured, tortured human being.
0: Oh, my God, I would love you to do some personal sessions with Donald Trump. That would be one of the most amazing things to be party to.
1: It's it's Led Zeppelin. You know, there's, there's a there's a lady who sure all glitters is gold. I mean, Donald Trump covers everything in gold. He's so gaudy about everything because he thinks he can buy a stairway to heaven or the stairway to peace. He so thinks that's what leads to peace. And really what it leads to is his own bondage. He has all the power in the universe and he's shackled and bound by those false beliefs. Wow.
0: Is the bottle of any use at all? Is the ego of any use at all?
1: That's I put this in the, is, is there any value in dressing up for Halloween in, in one way? No. I mean, it's a silly little thing that we do, but in another way, it brings us joy all Right. and frequently dressing up as our demons. Right or dressing up as, you know, whatever, something funny, something joyful, something scary. It's the opportunity to experience yourself as something that you're not.
0: Okay,
1: so the ego ego can be a fun play. It can be, it's like the Ram Dass thing, God in drag. Mm. I wrote an essay about it, about my experience with that idea. But this idea that we're all just God Saying, "Hey, I think I'm going to dress up as Oliver. I'm going right. to dress up as Darren, mm-hmm. right? It's going to be this elaborate costume and this role that I'm going to play, just like kids on the playground. Uh, you know, I'll be. When I was a kid, it was cowboys and Indians, which was incredibly racist, but mm. you know, now it's like Jedi and Sith or mm. whatever. Mm. It, there's there's a purpose for that role play. It's it's about discovering who you are and and exploring who you are and being something you're not for the purpose of finding out for gaining a deeper understanding of that which you are so there's a purpose to it and that but that doesn't make it any it doesn't make it real any more than my son is a ninja when he dressed up like a ninja for halloween Mm.
0: So right? Yeah. Yeah. So what's your relationship with your ego then? Do you just you, you're aware of it? You uh, you you live with it um, You don't try and you don't try and get rid of it
1: uh, I, I don't think you need to get rid of it, but you need to recognize it for what it is mm. Be aware of it going back to you it. don't need to stop dressing up for Halloween. But don't, for God's sakes, don't think that you're, I, I, when my son was little, he got really into Superman and superheroes. And somebody gave him this shirt with a little Velcro cape. It was a Superman shirt. And it had a little red cape that Velcroed onto the shoulders. And I, he, someone gave it to him and I brought him to the playground. It was really hot. And I was sitting under the pl- play structure where it was shady and he was running around. And out of the corner of my eye, I see this red and blue streak And he did a running dive off the play structure and did a face plant right into the (laughs) sand and was screaming and crying. And I ran to him thinking, oh my God, he's really been hurt. He probably broke a bone. Here we come ER. And I picked him up and held him and he cried. And when he finally calmed down a little bit, he said, my cape isn't working. (laughs) And, that's sort of where we get into trouble. We put on the costume and we think we are that thing. He was so invested in the costume, making him Superman, making him something that he's not, that he forgot that gravity was a thing and that we're not Superman even when we wear the cape. And so you can wear the Oliver cape. You can dress up like Oliver and you should explore and be in that role to the fullest extent you can but don't don't forget who you are don't forget what you are
0: yeah remember that it's a costume or
1: you're going to do a face plant
0: (laughs) (laughs) that is so beautiful that's amazing clarity from you as usual how can we share and enjoy you now and how soon do you think we'll be able to see you in the flesh again
1: Well, the in the flesh thing is a little easier to answer because the answer to that is as soon as possible, Mm -hmm. you know, as soon as it's safe to do so. I've had lengthy conversations with the city of San Francisco and Grace Cathedral about restarting that class, but just the numbers are too high still, and we don't have a vaccine. So it'll probably be a little bit um, before... My class at the cathedral is up and running. It was looking good for a while, and then the numbers shifted again. Mm. So there's that, and then expect people just banging at the door, desperate to
0: get in <laughs> with some Darren main goodness.
1: I don't know. Is it? I have anything? I I'm gonna chalk it up to a beautiful building and a, <laughs> some great music and a and and the amazing practice of yoga. I have very little to do with it. That's because you've got command of your <laughs> ego um well when you fall on your face as a teacher enough times you start to realize you're not you're not all that right (laughs) you know you show up you hold space you go home it's
0: incredibly humble of you and what how else can we interface then you've talked about this content which you're not prepared to
1: promote yet but do you
0: do regular online classes or anything like that at the moment
1: um i do a lot of i have like a weekly yoga philosophy discussion group online I'm thinking about rolling out a pranayama practice, maybe a monthly pranayama practice. Mm -hmm. And I've been doing a lot of teacher training and lecturing at different places. And then I've been doing some like special one-off events. Like I did a big thing with yoga journal recently. um, And I did something with yoga Alliance a couple, a month or so ago. And so I've been doing bigger stuff like that, but mostly I've been trying to restructure what I do. to be more focused, I'm, I'm working on some video courses and stuff for people who want to take that deeper dive. Okay,
0: And we can find um, all of this at
1: DarrenMain.com, right? DarrenMain.com. And, and some of it hasn't been released yet, but you get you get a little preview. <laughs> Amazing. I, you see, I don't even know about these
0: weekly classes that you do. I, I don't go to your site regularly, but I just, I know that I'm on the mailing list. So I'm, you're not doing enough promotion, man
1: i will i will send out an email blast you've inspired me
0: and when does it happen every wednesday night every wednesday night and it's
1: donation based and your first session is free oh
0: my god we've been
1: working through the eight limbs over the past few weeks um this week we're talking about or tonight actually we're talking about pratyahara but I'm doing a different topic each week and just sort of doing a deep dive in a discussion about that topic. I can
0: promise you that I will be coming to your, your class online tonight. I have no reason not to attend, but please explain to me before the class, what is Pratyana? Um,
1: Pratyahara, Pratyahara is... um <laughs> <laughs> um work on pronunciation another day. <laughs> it's withdrawal of the senses. And the idea is... Um, your ego uses the senses to look for evidence of it to justify its existence all the time. So, if you believe that, um, if you believe you're a victim, you will look out at the world and you will see all the things in this world that justify that belief. Right. Um, so, Pratyahara is pulling the senses back in, right? Reining them in and sitting with. It's sort of like the doorway into the unconscious mind. The temptation is to constantly be looking out for validation, justification, and affirmation. Um, And when you practice Pratyahara, you go back, you retrace your steps in reverse. You go back through the senses, you notice what you're feeling, and then ultimately shut the door behind you. So it's just you within yourself wrestling with the demons within which is where they've always been it's never been about the outside world
0: wow this is um, fascinating i feel so fortunate that i've um, been talking to you today because i'm i'm going to be talking to you that well i'm going to be with you this evening
1: excellent i look forward to it
0: well i cannot thank you enough for your time you've been so generous as ever i feel so enriched from having spoken to you and um, yeah thank you so much darren you are such a positive force in this world
1: Uh, Well, I thank you so much and I'm so proud, I'm so stoked that you're still doing your podcast. It's great.
0: (laughs) There was a hiatus, a long hiatus, but I'm enjoying it more than ever.
1: You will have to uh, check out my thing tonight. One hundred
0: percent, my friend, I cannot wait.
1: (sighs) The natural high.